Hello and welcome to another creator chat from the Internet Creators Guild, an organization that's working to advocate on behalf of the increasingly large number of people who make stuff for a living on the internet. Today, I'm having another chat with Anthony D'Angelo, the executive director of the ICG, about what's happening in the news and the world right now. What we won't be talking about during this chat is YouTube Rewind, because we recorded this before that came out. But if you want some good takes, you can check out what The Verge had to say or Marquez Brownlee's videos. My only additions to that are one. Look, it's 2018. It has been a year, right? And I think YouTube didn't feel comfortable making something that was purely celebratory, and they wanted to hit a different note in there. And they did not hit it well, because it's a hard note to hit. Second, in general, uh, content platforms uh, have low morale in their offices more than ever right now. Facebook especially is dealing with its employees no longer believing as much in the mission of the company. YouTube is also suffering from this some with scandals around kids' content, disinformation, racism, and like, you know, suicide forests. So they want to tell a pretty story for us and for advertisers and their staff, but the story isn't all pretty. And YouTube Rewind is supposed to be a place to be enthusiastically proud and excited about YouTube culture with none of those negative notes, but no one actually feels that way anymore. Take that for what it's worth. Anyway, that's what Anthony and I aren't going to talk about today. We are going to talk about uh, Defy Media closing down, how that worked, what it means, and how vulnerable creators are to the corporations that we work with. We'll also talk about a bunch of other stuff, including YouTube's recently launched Snapchat Instagram-like stories feature, because apparently that's what a story is now. Everybody, let's chat with Anthony. Hello, Anthony. How is everything? How how is the world? And what should we be doing about it? Oh boy, the world the world is a mess. Everything's falling apart. Um, it's the twenty first century. Uh, especially especially if you uh, partnered with certain companies. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, so this week, I'm I'm really eager to talk about uh, Defy Media, which has been mm -hmm. a major controversy in the past uh, couple weeks. Mm -hmm. For those who may not know, Defy Media is this. Very large company, like hundreds of employees. Um, they had they had buildings in in Los Angeles and New York, and they sort of mysteriously went under. Like they don't mm -hmm. exist anymore. Uh, yep. Yeah. And uh, weird. Yeah. yeah. Weirdly. Um, but what does that even mean? <laughs> what does it mean for a company to not exist anymore without going bankrupt? Because like I understand bankruptcy. The institution continues to exist, and then. Uh, and then you have to go to court to try and decide how much of their debts and obligations they're going to pay. And the whole goal is to basically say, we cannot pay all of our obligations. And so we are going to enter into this new state where we will liquefy everything and do our best to distribute our assets to the people who we owe money to. Right. And the thing is that that in that process, um, a lot of that those assets simply sort of disappear. Uh, and so... Uh, what's happening right now is that Defy Media is is uh, embroiled in a number of lawsuits, uh, each of which is kind of oriented towards preserving uh, some of some of the uh, the assets that the company has. There's a really great video um, by a man named Lionel, uh, no Lion Leor 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 Lesser uh, did a really great video. Um, he's a lawyer and, and sort of reviews um, a whole bunch of these different different lawsuits, and some of them have to do with. Um, the Warren Act, which is uh, a law that that says that you have to give sixty days notice to your employees when you shut down mm. a company, um, mm. they they didn't do that, or rather they did do that, but then they shut down the company before the sixty days were up. Right, 
after okay. having given the warning, which is funny to me. Um, but yeah, so that's 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 part of it. But even before the company started shutting down, uh, they were they were involved in a couple lawsuits involving just not paying their workers. Uh, they 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 had a, a few lawsuits alleging that they had you know hundred fifty thousand dollars of, uh, of of unpaid uh, uh, advertising revenue and 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 work that was that was contracted for them, which you know. Based on what I've seen from these folks, uh, or based on what I've heard from from people who've um, come out of the company, it seems like there were some shady practices even before the company uh, went under. Mm-hmm. And the it looks as if uh, Defy was owned by other companies, so it was a company owned by companies, which I guess it's still a company, so it can still be its own liability and so that liability doesn't necessarily get passed up to all of those owner partners um, but the two biggest ones are abs capital partners and wellington management company which sound pretty clearly to me like private equity firms so places where rich people put their money to try and make their money get worth more money and then two media companies uh, are the smaller shareholders lionsgate and viacom and the question of like how m- much responsibility falls on those owners is an interesting question uh, because I think legally nothing falls on those owners. But like when you, like if I owned Defy, I would certainly expect people to be coming at me. But when you're, you know, more than 50% owned by basically companies that just exist as shells for rich people's money, what do you do with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I as a, if, if I were an owner, I would be quite frustrated because uh, my understanding is that Defy had $70 million of, of, of investment capital, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. as, as late as like last year. So like, wh- where did, where did that money go? Like, that's a huge, <laughs> huge question. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think, you know, this is a case of really profound mismanagement. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, some, some reporting that, uh, that Tim, Tim Peterson and Sahil Patel did over at um, DigiDay. Basically, they were saying that there were sort of two main pillars of Defy's revenue strategy. One of them was AdSense, uh, which mm-hmm. we creators sort of know is not something that you should be relying on entirely for, for your business. Um, uh, but also, uh, they were contracting work and licensing work to services like Comcast Watchable and uh, Verizon Go90, which, mm. uh, you know, that, you know, in retrospect, probably could have been seen as a, as a bit of a canary in the coal mine uh you right. know, your revenue is coming from you know a failing video platform that's that's not a great mm-hmm. <laughs> long-term uh strategy i would say um yeah so so in addition to being a production company actually paying for the creation of content they also had some creators that they were also acting as an mcn so some creators were just getting paid through them getting services theoretically in exchange for a percentage of the money being paid by Defy. And then the last thing I heard, but this was a while ago, is that those people whose channels are with Defy just stopped getting paid. Yeah. Like they stopped getting the checks from their channel because Defy doesn't exist. And so it doesn't have the capability of writing checks. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's another problem is, is that some of those folks were in, involved in um, YouTube's self-reporting uh, tool for, for mm. content. Mm-hmm. So like you get to say to YouTube, um, you know, uh, I think that my content is sort of PG rated or PG 13 or whatever. Yeah. And they will, you know, see if, if, uh, 
if that matches up with their evaluation of it. And uh, it's just a quicker way towards mm -hmm. monetization that they've been testing out. And happy to say that's that's been doing uh, very well, I think. Um, but uh, but but those channels, uh, when you're in that beta uh, kind of testing program, uh, mm. you can't bulk monetize videos. And so oh, wow. channels that it, what happened was that they uh, they were released from Defy, but that meant that they had to go and re-monetize all their videos, but they can't do that all at once, so they had to do it individually. And so my understanding is that YouTube has been working with those channels directly to figure out a solution. But in the meantime, you know, that's an entire channel, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. with millions and millions of views, uh, that's that's just not getting monetized. And uh, that's that's very messy. On top of the idea that, you know, or the fact that, that uh, uh, some of those channels weren't released until a few days after uh, the company announced its shutdown. I don't know how that worked. Like who was there at the office, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. channels and everything. But, um, but yeah, I mean this sort of, um, mutual ownership of a, of a channel, uh, or delegated ownership of, of a channel, uh, when, when the company shuts down, like that presented some issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, to, to me, uh, it is, it is indicative of a couple of things. One that these things that seem like they, are forever things are not, and all things end, even Vine, <laughs> and uh, and figuring out and, and like just being aware that there there should be a, a an escape path in those situations is is important. Um, and I think that that even comes down to the platforms that we create on, um, because like as you know as as we have seen, some platforms have stopped existing. Other platforms have dramatically changed the rules of the platform or, or how content is promoted and, and made it a less friendly place to certain kinds of content. And uh, we're also witnessing that right now with Tumblr, who uh, they have decided that there will not be any more um, adult content on the platform, which was always, you know, has been a thing since the very beginning of Tumblr. And, uh, and there are a lot of people who you know, their job is to create content on that platform that will no longer be welcome on that platform. Yeah. And that, yeah, that is so like, like the, you know, the, the amount to which we are dependent on these organizations, on, on these companies is, you know, freaks me out sometimes. Yeah. And, and it's, I don't know. I, I mean, Tumblr for a long time, I sort of had this problem of, of, of not really having much of a revenue model. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. And, and like that, like when I think about um, when I think about YouTube, one of the reasons that I am like not as worried about being a creator on that platform, like one, my content is brand safe Two, YouTube is making plenty of money, uh, whereas Tumblr was sold to a failing company as it sort of like was on the other side of its crest in popularity. Like, no offense to people who like are lovers of Tumblr. I also like the platform, but like, it's you know, it has declined in relevance. No, no offense to those those diehard Yahoo fans. <laughs> also, no offense to all the diehard Yahoo fans. What? How else would we get all of our answers answered? <laughs> but it's sort of the same issue as as um uh, uh as on on YouTube, right? Where they, where they decide to like enforce stricter content standards, right? Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, if, if, if that's, you know, if we learned any lessons from that whole process, it's, it's that enforcement and, and, you know, well-defined community policies, th those are really difficult things to work out and to implement and to deploy site-wide. Um, mm -hmm. so the question will be, you know, based on, on Tumblr's 
um, new new guidelines that that basically say like no image imagery of genitals or female presenting nipples is the female f- presenting nipples right <laughs> is there a shirt yet that I can buy <laughs> <laughs> like like this is just rife for 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 for, uh, yeah. for for gray areas right um, mm-hmm. this is this is you know gonna gonna be an issue but but fundamentally you know the problem for them is is that advertisers big serious brand advertisers they won't touch tumblr with a 10-foot pole you know it's the site sort of developed this reputation for certain Mm -hmm. it's like bizarre advertisements that that don't really make sense to anybody um but the problem is that like you know you don't want windex's logo plastered up next to you know some homestuck smut you know and and (laughs) Like, I guess. Why are you telling me we wouldn't have a field day with those screenshots? Like, yeah, it would be amazing. Um, mm-hmm. But, but you know, either Tumblr has to figure out some sort of subscription-based revenue model, or become more relevant to advertisers and uh, and and more inviting. And and so far, they've they've had a, a lot of trouble doing that, largely because of the adult content. Um, yeah, know? it makes me feel again and again that. Uh, this reliance on advertising as the way forward for the internet is a huge mistake. It is certainly not the only path and should not be the only path. And and maybe if there had been some other decisions made at Tumblr, I don't know, in 2010 or so, maybe it could have been a platform that had that explored other ways of uh, of being a thing. Yeah, I mean, likewise, likewise for Defy. Like hindsight's always 2020. Like you know, in retrospect, it's like, oh yeah, maybe Go90 wasn't a great you know place to, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, to rely I on. always felt that way. I was always like, go 90 has been a wonderful place for my friends to make really high quality content and hone their skills for a temporary amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, those are, those are two really kind of big, big things this week. Um, I don't know. I, I sat down with, uh, with um, Ava Gordy, who is a, who is mm-hmm. a, uh, employees of of, of Defy, uh, uh, they worked as a freelancer for for Defy and previously for uh, for SourceFed. And you know, basically, Ava's experience was that they at SourceFed, uh, you know, that channel it doesn't doesn't really do its thing anymore, and and you know, nor nor does Clever TV, which is the the channel that that they were working for. Ava made this really, I think, kind of touching vlog, like venting these frustrations of like, okay, you know, I dropped out of school for this. I, you know, I've been working really hard to do these, uh, to, to work on these channels and it, it just seems so precarious, right? Like the, the mm-hmm. channels keep closing with no warning with, uh, you know, under, under weird sort of circumstances. Um, though they had much kinder things to say about, about the, uh, source fed shutdown, uh, compared to the, the defy one. I think that, you know, if that's your experience multiple times, you know, uh, mm-hmm. being a host for a show on a weekly basis and, and just sort of learning that that's not, you know, going to be stable for you. Um, that's like a really emotionally difficult position to be in, right? Like it, yeah. I mean, at the same time it was it, not, not long ago was the only, the only position a host was ever in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously like when you were hosting for TV shows, you were dependent on whether the TV show was going to continue existing. And that was up for debate by some network executive every single season. And, uh, and, and even if it didn't get canceled, they might decide that, hey, you know, maybe we're going to keep going, but with a different face. And a new model needs to be defined because now creators understand how much power they have, or they actually, you know, they have more power than they ever had, but they also 
like they feel it viscerally. And when you are in a situation where you don't have any control over the future of your content, then that feels really bad. And it doesn't seem right because like we have established norms now for, for online content creation in which like the people who have the relationship with the audience are the ones who ultimately should have the power for like with regard for like with regard to what to do with that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Even I talked about this very, very specifically, it's sort of this idea, you know, that like with SourceFed, right. A lot of the audience kind of dropped off when the original cast uh, or the mm-hmm. original hosts left. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think the channel didn't do as well after that because, you know, there had been this precedent established um, that the audience, you know, expected to have this relationship with, with those specific hosts. Um, and, and it sort of came around to this conversation of, about like ownership, right? Uh, to what extent should a host like that, be, because they are so fundamental to the content itself, um, you know, what, what level of ownership should they have over the content? You know, a lot of these folks are working as, as freelancers and they don't really have a lot of say. Um, you, you know, they don't, they don't get the kind of benefits that, you know, an actor might, uh, in as like a, a game show host, right. Um, that's, that's, I think a lot, even in that situation, season to season, it's a lot more steady than, than a, a, a channel might be. And, and the type of employment, um, and the benefits that you get, um, are just basically different and, and more developed. Um, I don't know. I, you, you run a company that, that has a lot of shows. Like, do you ever think about, about sort of the, the role of the hosts and, and like what, what all do they do for, for your shows? Honestly, like it is, it is a less, you know, a less high touch relationship. And I think that, you know, with Crash Course, we, we pay people to come in and, and like who ideally have some expertise in the subject and also are, you know, experts in, in you know, talking to cameras or, or at least like talking to audiences. And, uh, and that, um, is a temporary relationship and established as one. So you're going to host this one course and then that project will be over with. So that's nice. Um, we don't ask people, but we appreciate it when, um, when they, you know, ha- like see their crash course hosting as something that is going to be like a part of their online presence in the future. Um, and, and then, but with, with a uh, sideshow, it is definitely a, um, it's a forever gig, more or less. Um, and uh, and if that if that show goes away, then yeah, like that would be a super bummer. And but it's also like not personality based in the way that SourceFed was. Um, and and I think that that is a lot of what it comes down to is like how much of this content is based on like people having a relationship with me, like me as one person. And, and I think that like, it might be good for companies to say, like, if that's part of what we're trying to do here, then we need to have a really substantial relationship with this host. If that's not part of what we're trying to do here, then like, you are going to be a vessel through which information gets transferred. And we are not going to ask you to tweet all the time and to be like the public face of this, of this product. and, uh, and, and also, like, we're not going to try and find people who are already, like, big sort of social media or YouTube creators in the way that, like, you know, Ava, Mike Falzone, Joe Beretta, like, all these people were before they even started hosting SourceFed. Yeah. What's the, 
<laughs> it sort of begs the question: What's on the uh, on the programming slate for next season on Hank's channel? <laughs> on, on Hank's channel? I don't predict. I don't see anything happening. <laughs> I don't expect anything of that channel. I just do whatever I feel. But that's the it. thing, right? It's like these are basically different methodologies. Like these, these are different um, sort of ways of, of 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 making, right? And and what happens is, I think. Um, a, a lot of the time is like you'll have kind of net, more traditional network-minded folks uh, uh, who, who have a, a specific idea, who are trained in a specific version of what it means to produce a show. Uh, and then, you know, they'll come into a more kind of off-the-cuff vlog type uh, production environment. And it's, it's, completely, it's completely different. And, and those, those two kind of processes don't always jive with each other. Um, you know, if you're if you're doing like a room tour and you've got a director, you know, asking for you know multiple takes of you walking into a room and being amazed by how cool it is, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's it's not it's not as organic, right? Like production. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's like this this kind of challenging relationship between authenticity and and, and being organic and and having a, uh, a what's traditionally thought of as a well produced um, piece of content. Yeah. Um, there are a number of other things happening in online video right now <laughs> that I want to, I want to get really fast. Yeah. Um, YouTube stories are a thing. Yes. Um, I kind of like it, honestly. Yeah. I do. I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's the right thing. I don't like, I feel a little bit like the thing I don't like about it is, can we just have a thing that does one thing? <laughs> and can YouTube just be a thing that does the YouTube thing and doesn't have all these other features and like, ugh, <laughs> like, I, and I feel, I kind of feel the same way about the community tab, which I'm just like, I mean, but this is for videos. I don't need a, an extra thing in my subscription feed that is just people promoting videos they already uploaded, <laughs> mostly what community is used for. Right. Um, and then, and I, and I kind of feel the same way about stories, which is like, I want YouTube to be a place where people come to watch my videos, not a place for people to come to watch, like to look at my tweets and see my stories and see my photos. And like, it's not going to be a one-stop shop ever for me because I have to maintain those relationships on other platforms already. Even, even as I am not a huge fan of them, like I don't like using Facebook. I don't like using Instagram that much. Um, so but I like do it because I know that I have people there. But the thing that I, but, so that's what I don't like. What I do like is using it. Like I <laughs> like I have an audience built in on this platform and it's a very easy way to create content. And, uh, and I feel like it's kind of fun and like giving updates and getting responses and like seeing, you know, like having a, a, a way to like interact with people in between videos, especially on Vlogbrothers where there's like, you know, there's, you know, usually four, three or four days between video, videos. So I don't know. I like it. I like it. I understand why you might not like it um, or, or like sort of like a functional thing where I'm just like, oh, God, why can't this just be one thing? But actually, in my use of it, I have enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, that these types of tools are, are oftentimes just like defined by, by their users, right? If, if I don't know, I think it's a really difficult engineering task, uh, probably from YouTube's perspective, to uh, to introduce this to to an audience of people of people who like aren't already using it or or uh, who are having those needs fulfilled by other platforms already, 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is, a, I think, a, a, a big challenge. But I think they're hearing like, okay, what do creators need? They need, you know, more uh, and, and more reliable ways to monetize. They need more and more reliable ways to uh, engage with their audience um, and maintain those those relationships that, we, that we've, we're talking so much about. And uh, you know, here are here are some things. Here are some ways to do that. Mm-hmm. But the question is always like, do the users themselves? As, as creators and, and as audiences, like normalize that behavior um, and sort of incorporate it into their, their routines. Right. Um, yeah, that remains to be seen, I think. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I'm getting a fair amount of engagement with it. Um, I'm going to check on my thing right now and look at that, if everyone will bear with me. Yeah. So here's my YouTube story. I'll turn my volume down. Um, on the first one, uh, there's so, so like the, so they last for a week, by the way, which is a little weird. My first one has 70,000 eyeballs on it. I don't really know what counts as a view. My second one has 40. So that's how many people got through. Ah. Um, uh, and uh, and then that goes down from there. But also because like some of these were posted three days ago. Some of them were posted last night. Um, and then my most recent one has 10,000 views. And it's got six comments on it from people who want to say. And like this, a nice thing is it's really easy to reply to a comment as a story. So like I just grab the comment and then I can answer the question. But um, I do feel a little like having it last for a week kind of means how, like unless you're staying up to date on it constantly, you're just like, oh, I'm not gonna watch like four minutes of YouTube stories right now. Um, But I don't know if that encourages people to stay up to date on it or if it just like becomes this impenetrable wall of like, oh, I would rather watch a four minute long YouTube video than four minutes of unedited uh, 10 minute snippets of someone's day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you think it compares with with IGTV? Um, so Instagram I, television. Instagram television, thank you for using my preferred terminology. <laughs> um, uh, I think, so, so basically it's a little bit um, what Instagram was trying to do to YouTube, YouTube is now trying to do to Instagram. Um, you take our feature, we'll take yours. Uh, I, I think that Instagram television does not feel right for the the situation that it is in because it is it is a mobile thing, and like I'm on Instagram to swipe, you know, to like move along quickly, not to like sit here and look at a video. Whereas I'm on YouTube to spend time on the app. And I think that it is easier to make the case to, to like have a low touch, like quick look at what your people you subscribe to are up to rather than uh, rather than watch a long video than it is to be like, oh, I'm here to swipe. And now I'm going to watch a long video instead of just swiping. That's a big ask. But watching something little when you're in a place of looking for more like long form content is not as big of an ask. So I think it probably makes more sense. It also exists, uh, just sits at the top of the sub feed. Uh, it also will show up in your home page, uh, which is weird because it's not, it's like the stories on my home page is like a bunch of people I'm not even subscribed to. Um, you know, it's like, it starts with the two people who have posted stories that I'm subscribed to, but then it's just like, and a bunch of people I've never heard of. <laughs> um and that, but then on my subscription page, it's just my subscriptions. Um, and it sits there on the top. It doesn't take up a lot of space. Uh, so it's like, it doesn't require an extra swipe, which is 
nice. Like, a, like Instagram TV, I like kind of have to go over to it and I never do. I just never even think about it, honestly. Remember when Snapchat was a thing? Uh, I mean, it still is. People are still using oh, I mean, Snapchat. It's certainly still a thing. It's just it seemed like there was so much buzz around um, like brand, like publishers essentially like getting in on, on Snapchat. It's like this mm-hmm. um this, yeah, I feel like interest, I, I guess, from the from the publisher slash brand side has has diminished significantly. Yeah, I have I have completely stopped thinking about Snapchat as a, a way of connecting to audience. Um, I think that might be in large part because it's just not where my audience is. But um, but also when I go to Snapchat, uh, the stuff I see that is being created by publishers, there's still a lot of it, um, but it looks miserable to me it looks completely uninteresting but but like i also recognize that um it's probably for the best that snapchat was forced to demographically focus Mm -hmm. instead of being like how do we turn snapchat into facebook we got to invite the moms in like (laughs) no sorry you're just gonna have to be what you are and uh and that is probably part of why i stopped being interested in it snapchat moms (laughs) snap moms mom chat new reality show Oh God! Next season on sign me up. It's gonna be on YouTube Premium <laughs> next season, which is free, by the way. Yeah. Now it's gonna be free now. <laughs> no, no, YouTube Premium is not gonna be free, but uh, YouTube Originals are gonna be free. Which what is happening, Anthony? Why do they exist? YouTube Originals. Yeah. Can I can I be totally frank? Can I be open here? <laughs> why do they exist? What's uh? Why why do YouTube I mean. I think, I don't know. I think it's exciting that YouTube is investing directly in creators. That is, that's a huge deal. I think that they deserve mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of credit for that. Yes, I would like for them to do it in a different way than the than that way. Because mm-hmm. what YouTube original says to me is, we're going to give you money to make stuff that doesn't look like YouTube videos. <laughs> I want YouTube to give creators money to make YouTube videos. <laughs> right. Right. And and people will be like, but what they're doing it anyway. And I'm like, no, more, better, different channels, grow their businesses. Because like it was so it was so important in my life to you know, if 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 the crash course in SciShow money had been spent like YouTube original money, then we would have had to spend all of the money like paying production companies to make this stuff instead of spending it to build a company. I think like YouTube should be trying to diversify the, the the sort of like ecosystem of businesses that are producing content in the world by reaching out to their talent and saying, we want to invest in your businesses because traditional media is bad at making stuff on this platform. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that they, they do this in sort of roundabout ways, right? I mean, like FameBit and the new monetization mm-hmm. tools, these are, you know, they're pushing these things really, really hard right now. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I don't know, like they, I, I think that they certainly share the goal of like putting money into the creator ecosystem. Um, but, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I think that you're, that you're totally right. Like the stuff that they make tends not to really look like YouTube videos. Um, I mean, if you think about sort of the, the, the long-term effort of, of the YouTube spaces, right? Like the whole idea mm-hmm. is, you, you know, we're going to get creators in here. We're going to teach them how to use, uh, you know, fancy production equipment. We're going to give them some red cameras and, you know, a set and a green screen and, and lights. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes I, you know, I, I've spent some time at the, at the spaces and, you know, I would walk in there and, and think like, who's, who's vlogging from this like thousand square foot set, you know, like 
it's not it's, it's not you know and like that's not the only type of content that there is right like there's yeah. plenty of narrative content there's plenty of like higher production um type stuff um but i mean like when i think of high production quote unquote youtube stuff like i, I like you know contra points right like there's a lot of you know effort and lighting and sort of uh uh, uh makeup and, yeah. and all this sort of theatricality about it. And, um, and also writing, like, you know, a huge amount of time and effort goes into a writing, writing a video like that, like a 15 yeah. minute long video um, like that, like that costs time. And like, if it's not costing time, it's costing money. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, like, like certainly if I, if I were YouTube, I, I would give money to Natalie Wynn. I don't know that they would That'd probably, <laughs> Uh, a fair amount of controversy they could avoid by not doing that, but yeah, I do. I do think that there's a lot of really interesting stuff on on the platform that um, it shows what investment can create that doesn't look like the stuff that has already existed. And and like and I completely recognize that it is hard to do that. It is hard to figure out what you know media is going like what YouTube is going like what YouTube plus money equals is different from what you know like is different from traditional content right traditional legacy media and and I do and we do not know still what YouTube plus money actually equals and so like it's going to equal a lot of different things it's going to equal dude perfect and crash course and um and a lot of different stuff but like it's the that that's the thing that like do perfect and crash course don't look like tv right right yeah i mean hopefully youtube plus money equals less burnout uh <laughs> yeah maybe that maybe that i don't know like, <laughs> i feel like i feel like more i feel like what like oh there's more reason to compete for this space <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't think that the problem is competition. I, I think it's... Yeah, we might disagree on this, but go. I mean, so I mean, like when we talk about Famebit or, or sort of Defy Media type companies, people who are brokering uh, brand deals, right? I think we've sort of talked uh-huh. about this before that, um, that, you know, generally speaking, these brand deals don't account for labor costs, right? They, mm-hmm. they are simply... Um, they, they simply say, okay, well, we're going to do, we're going to pay you this much, uh, for, yeah. uh, you know, to say our name. And then like you get a chunk of the, you know, the, the impressions, the, the cost per impression or, or per acquisition or whatever it may be, um, that's, that's being measured. Um, but seldom is it actually like, Hey, here's, you know, how many hours you're going to get paid to do this work. And here's how much we're going to pay you. Those that's a, like, I think probably the biggest issue in the space right now as, as mm-hmm. burnout goes, right. Is that the companies that um, are brokering these deals because they're not actually procuring employment? They don't have to be agents. They don't have to be licensed agents. They don't need to be regulated in the same way that that every other agent is. Um, and and that means that they get to you know bend some rules. And and I think that those are those that creates systemic pressures that that are as as uh, damaging to creators' mental health and and well being um, as anything else. Yeah, I think that is. I think that's real. I think that's real. Absolutely. I I also think that when you are put in a situation where you feel as if you have the opportunity, you are at the cusp of doing something that like everybody in your culture wants, and also, you know, you like there is only a certain amount of of you know attention to go around on the platform that people will ask too much of themselves and they will push too hard, and sometimes they will do that 
um, even if this, if, even if it's not working, but I think it especially happens when it starts to work a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that like a lot of this hard work that, that people do and, and the ways in which they push themselves, if they actually got paid, you know, <laughs> maybe it would be mm-hmm. more worth it. It's, 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 you know, no one should be, you know, pulling their hair out over, over the stuff, but it, but it's, you know, I don't know, there's gotta be, there's gotta be fair compensation. And, and the more and more I learn about, about the space from talking to creators and, and learning from these companies is, is just like, it's not, it's not happening. It's really, really frustrating to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Is there anything else on, on, on your plate? Uh, uh, well, I mean, I think the, the, so, so along with the, uh, the, the shift away from originals being behind the YouTube premium paywall. That begs a couple of questions for me. Um, one, is YouTube premium okay? Is it working or are they slowly going to phase out that product, which would be bad in my opinion? Um, and, and two, like what is, if that's not the case, what is the premium strategy? Like what are they going to be doing to get people to sign up for that product? Um, or how are they going to change that product in light of like one of the, you know, proposed value ads of it being gone. So like now, like I'm paying $12 a month, I get my like Spotify like service of, of, you know, Google play music, but then, or whatever it's called, it's still called that. Who knows? YouTube changes everything's name or Google all the time. Everything has a different name every fucking Tuesday. Um, <laughs> can't, can't keep it straight. Um, Actually, it's Alphabet now. Sorry, Alphabet can't <laughs> name anything for more than a, a week. <laughs> well, I mean, it's important that you mentioned the, the, the music side of it because based on what I've heard, uh, mm-hmm. the vast majority of the actual cost of YouTube Premium goes to music. Yeah. Well, because like that's how Spotify, like they they're paying the same. It's the same deal that Spotify has, and so Spotify is nine ninety nine. All you get is music, and so the record companies are getting like seven or eight dollars or whatever. I don't know how much it is, and then like YouTube has to pay that same amount to the record labels because they're like, well, this is what Spotify is playing. Right. So they have to pay the same dollar amount, and then you get. So yeah, you know, I mean, so I mean, basically three quarters of your of your cost. Uh, for 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 YouTube Premium are are going to the to the labels. Yeah, which which makes me think like this is not a great system. They're like something was fundamentally like broken from the beginning here. Right. I mean, were they to to split it up and say, okay, here three dollars for 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 YouTube Originals? I don't know. I, yeah, I have, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I have a lot of questions about how this is supposed to work. Yeah. Um, it also like makes it hard for YouTube to make money off of Premium, it, and. And to me, like the solution to that is to like have that be a separate product from music. And that was never the case. Um, And, but maybe now, maybe they're looking at that. I've uh, like, I don't know. Cause I don't, I don't see what the, for me, absolutely. I'll pay $12 a month to not have to watch ads on YouTube. I watch a lot of YouTube and I have enough money to pay that. For most people, I just, I don't see the value proposition. And so I, I, but I want as many people to sign up for it as possible because I want 
to not be beholden to advertisers as much. And I want YouTube to not be beholden to advertisers as much because we've seen the problems that that causes. Yeah. No, like we've seen it on YouTube and we're watching it happen on Tumblr right now. Tumblr, six months from now, might not exist because of that. And that is, that's a, yeah. So. Back I, to LO I, for us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was we great. We great. Like, is there a way could, uh, that the Internet Creators Guild can like real fast just like whip up a uh, whip up a Tumblr substitute? That'd be great. But it's like we, we sort of, I don't know, we do forget oftentimes that like, it is expensive to run a big, you know, media repository. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that we get to just use it for free for years is kind of incredible. Like that happens at all. That Tumblr Mm -hmm. in the first place is, is amazing. Um, But yeah, there, there are economics behind it and it's unfortunate that people are going to hurt because of that. Yeah. Yeah, well, it makes me ready for YouTube Premium to change but not go away because it's actually it's kind of a significant portion of our revenue now. Like ten percent of oh. of our YouTube money comes from from Premium now. That's wild. That's huge. And I know a lot of people. It's like upwards of that, like in the thirties or forties for longer content that doesn't have you know it might not be as brand safe. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and then I have other, like, Sexplanations, for example, makes very little money from AdSense at all, and so premium is a huge, important thing. Um, yeah, it's, do I don't want it to go away, um, and I hope that people aren't going to be like, oh, I can't watch, like, there's no reason for me to subscribe to this, but, like, I don't think that anybody, I think ultimately the reason that that's happening is no one saw that as a particularly useful value add, and so they were spending a lot of money on content that not very many people were watching. Mm-hmm. Which is probably still going to be the, but but, but wait. So so the solution is simply choose not to make any money off of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just seems I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're thinking that they are going to sell it separately as like a premium advertising product. But like ultimately, I, maybe they're saying this is a this is a loss leader. We're going to spend a lot of money on this, and it's not going to make us money. Yeah. I'd love to hear from creators if, if they have, uh, you know, those types of, of deals, how that's going to affect their, their contracts. Um, we'd love to learn more about that and see, you know, what would you mean? The, uh, the, the types of deals like YouTube original programming deals. Yeah. Yeah. If you've, if you made a show with them, um, yeah. how this changes licensing or, or whatever money you made or are making off of it. Yeah. All right, Anthony, I have to, Go to work. Sorry, it's a short one today. Uh, scheduling was weird. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Not going to say it was your fault, but it was your fault. It was my fault. It was entirely. <laughs> All right. Thanks for chatting. Always yep. fascinating. Yep. See you soon. Thanks for listening to this ICG Creator Chat. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating on iTunes so that we know what you thought of all the things that you listened to. It also helps bring new people to the podcast and spread this knowledge that we have even further. We would also love to hear from you at IC Guild on Twitter and at Internet Creators Guild on Facebook and Medium. The Internet Creators Guild was created by and for creators who believe that making stuff on the internet is one of the very best jobs. We aim to bring together internet creators to make their profession more sustainable and work towards that mission through education, community building, and advocacy. You can find out more and get involved at internetcreatorsguild.com. The ICG Creator Chat Podcast is produced by Marianne Fernandez-Silva and ICG's Executive Director, Anthony DeAnne. 
Angelo. It's edited by Eric Schneider. Special thanks go to our board of directors and our advisory board. Thank you all for listening and keep creating.